Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, back on the pod, we have Lori Lindsay. How's it going, Lori? Yeah, great. Great to be here with you. Chat some NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team. Let's do it. That's right. I don't think we were actually super expecting to talk U.S. this week, but there's some stuff to talk about. So everybody wakes up Sunday morning this weekend to some unfortunate news, which is that uh, Katarina Macario has at the very least sprained her ACL. She called it an ACL tear. Um, Leon said it was a six month recovery, which is maybe indicating that hopefully it's not the worst grade sprain possible. Um, but regardless out for this summer out for world cup qualifying for her. Now it's a matter of recovery and, and being ready for 2023. So this changes the landscape significantly in terms of the roster construction of the U S. So maybe the first question for you, Lori is how, panicked should people be no Macario this summer uh listen I think panic is a strong word yeah I mean this is a real bummer for Kat Macario just in general and I hope that she has a speedy recovery because she's been phenomenal and I think this is the the cat we've all been waiting for right I mean even dating back to the beginning of this year we've really started to see her play flourish um I don't think we quite saw last year. She was kind of getting into the mix and, and really coming into her own, especially with the U.S. Women's national team. Right. Um, but you know what? I think it does change the way that you look at the national team or black could go about it. Right. I think just even from a number standpoint, um, guy originally had like, if you're looking at the 23 player roster, like seven attackers, because you could, potentially put cat as a midfielder as well um and only six in the midfield i think maybe that needs to be flipped especially with um how much conversation has been around about the sixth position and the holy mid and what that looks like it doesn't totally feel that a lindsey haran is quite healthy as well so you're looking at like a, a very what i consider um heavy in the attack like a lot of depth and then kind of some, some slim pickings in the midfield that we haven't seen in a long time with this U.S. on the national team. So I do think there are some major question marks that come out of this. That's an interesting perspective, I think, because I think maybe you see a player go down and you think, oh, that probably means one more opportunity for an attacker. But Macario's versatility and the fact that she had been, again, just perfecting even just at Lyon, that false nine playing behind, uh, playing behind the striker – it does change things, meaning that there is no like-for-like replacement for Macario. Um, Obviously, this probably opens the door for Alex Morgan's return to the squad. Probably means that Ashley Hatch might get a little bit of a longer look in June than we were maybe expecting her to get. But those two players are very different than Macario is. So do do you think this is something where you see a player like that go down and you go, oh, we need to slot in another attacker? Or do you think we need to identify another midfielder to fill out the midfield pool? Well, um, I don't know necessarily if it's about identifying. I I do actually have, like, I put together kind of like my rough 23 going into this next window. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think, you know, Sam Coffey deserves a look. I think she's been excellent. Um, I think Naomi Gurma, those would be my two rookies. Naomi Gurma should be, um, I think she's playing like as a, both of them are playing as like seasoned veterans in this Mm -hmm. league. So I definitely think those two deserve a look 100%. I know Gurma was in before she's a defender, but I do think in the attack, 
it's interesting because, as you mentioned, Hatch and, and Alex Morgan uh, have been are, are very different, right, mm-hmm. than a Macario, which you know is is a is an interesting like situation in general because I do think in Concacaf um, qualifiers we're going to see teams that are going to sit back. I think right. we're going to see some that will press and look to put us under pressure as well. I think the days of just all the teams sitting back are, are not there anymore. Um, but what that, what that does is you don't have a ton of a space for an Alex Morgan mm-hmm. or a hatch to run in behind as you do in the NWSL where they are excellent, right? Like right. in transitional moments to get in behind. I do think in a lot of ways I would put hatch in there over there because she's proven that she's good back to goal. Not that Alex can't do that as well. I just think hatch has a little bit more versatility in that regard. So that's why I don't think it's about identifying necessarily another midfielder. I would say give coffee. She has been identified, right? Give her a chance, see how she fares. And I think just with the players that we've suggested, like Haran, is she at full capacity? And is Sullivan just making her way back? I personally don't feel like a Jalen Howell has like wowed me, right? Um, You know, in her defense, like she is a rookie, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, it's challenging. So, I think there's a lot more question marks in the midfield than there are um, in the attack. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, bring in a coffee, overload with like um, seven midfielders, see who can perform. And you kind of know what you're getting right now from Mal Pugh, who's been the best in the league. Like, let's put, just put it out there. And then Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, right? So um, that's kind of where my thinking is, if that if that totally, even though it's a long winded answer. <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's a good point. And I think the thing that's the, the reason why, again, just like, even just from a soccer perspective, and I'm disappointed, I'm disappointed on behalf of Katarina Macario, but I'm also disappointed of just, I think the style of soccer they were going to play was going to fit so well with yeah. the personnel that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, because Sophia Smith and Mal Pugh are drifters. They don't just kind of stay. They're not just like wing keeping on that outside edge, they like to drift centrally. They like to switch. And so playing with someone like Macario, that's very easy to do. When you have someone like Hatch or someone like Alex Morgan, if you've got kind of your traditional style, like run and gun kind of number nine, that really changes where you need those other players to be, or you're going to have too many players filling in the same spaces. And so I... And I kind of agree with you. And I also think that this is interesting because Alex Morgan has been playing winger as much as anything for San Diego. So she can do that, but it seems like in this system, maybe, yeah, you do go with hatch hatch has a decent track record of falling into the midfield. If she has to, to receive the ball. I don't know. I think it presents a really specific issue with how do you connect the best attributes of your wingers to what the best attributes of your available nine is. Yeah. And, and I, you know, to I have two thoughts to that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree completely about Katarina Macario, just bummed in general for <laughs> like the, her level of play. Right. And how fun she is to watch. And then also I do, I think it also changes the, the way this team plays. I mean, Kat has been and has shown how good she is about bringing other players in. Right. right. And that allows the attributes of even like a Rose or Sanchez who's gotten time to get beyond, right. And showcase their, their abilities that have looked a little bit different in the past when we played a true number nine. And 
I don't think the true number nine right now totally fits the style of play, right. especially when you think about um, how Emily Fox gets involved, um, you know, how Kelly O'Hara could potentially get involved. Right. And you need somebody that's going to be able to, has the ability to play back to goal, yeah. but also be able to mix it up, right? So, yeah. I, I no, mean, I'm, I'm just laughing because I'm thinking about it now and I'm like, maybe <laughs> they should not do this. Or maybe they should. I'm like, should the U.S. play in a three back? Should they just send wingers up? Okay. You know? Honestly, sometimes I think that that might be because Emily Fox is so good going forward. Sophia Huerta is so good going forward. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, I don't think it's totally out of the ordinary. I mean, out of the question. I just think then you start to say, okay, how how do you fit a Mal Pugh, Sophia Smith, some of those players, right? And then my other point though is like, yes, Alex has played on as a winger for San Diego. I honestly don't think she's a winger. I don't think they should play her there. I think she's right. the least effective yeah. um, in that position. And, well, and she's at her best when she, all of her most dangerous moments come from cutting centrally. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. So yeah. And then I think you look at if it's Kristen Prescott's um, called in, like right. how, how does that fit with the true number nine too? So yeah, I mean, honestly, it's an exciting problem to have in a fun discussion, but it's also irritating. I'm like, I know it's so like, <laughs> it is so annoying. I know they were so ready to, and everyone was playing so well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the front, like, listen, yeah. if you're just talking about the front line of Mal, um, Kat and Sophia, I mean, goodness gracious. Right. Yeah. Like that's, or even a Trinity, right. You could right. Her, like, right. Yeah. No. And it does feel a little bit where, you know, Vladko Andonovsky has, he already was having to make some big choices about youth versus veteran leadership. This complicates that because maybe you now really also need those veterans. If he had been inclined to do a full turnover, can't do that for the next six months. Um, And and I I don't think he necessarily should, but I do think that with that kind of availability issue, it doesn't necessarily let a coach kind of see out the full vision that they would do um, if everyone was available. Okay. So next question we have, we have the, the June window against Columbia and then world cup qualifying world cup qualifying is a big deal for a number of reasons, right? It feels a little bit trickier than maybe years past just because it's not in the U S it's um, you know, I think that obviously they have CONCACAF gets more spots because it's the expanded group in the world cup, but there is that Olympic spot that I think is also in the back of, of mm-hmm. everyone's mind. And so the U S we know has had success playing very differently than I think they would like to eventually play in 2023. Mm-hmm. Do you just go into world cup qualifying saying like, do what you know how to do. We're not going to get to tactically in the weeds here. Just go win the game. You know how to win it. Or do you say this is still really important for development? Cause we have one less year right between the Olympics and the world cup. We still need to be developing the style of play that we want to play next year. Yeah, I think it's a it's a hybrid of those. Yeah. And I think that's why it is important that what you just mentioned about having a slight mix of veteran players now, even more so with um, Macario out, because um, I think you need to have some people that have been there. And I said this like a number of times um, over the last couple of months. You have it like qualifying is even though that we sh- the U.S. should qualify. Right. Yes, of like, course. That no is the doubt, expectation. Right? Yes. yes. The the expectations though at qualifying in the, the um, intensity of it is so different than just yeah. playing in the, in, in friendlies. Right. And regardless of who you're playing in the friendlies and how high they're ranked or whatever, everyone is there to 
try to uh, qualify for a World Cup and Olympics. So the intensity around it all looks very, very different. So I think you have to have some people that have been there that understand that level can create some like calmness if it does go a little bit, gets a little bit chaotic, right? Or, or not the right way. But I think then also within that, there has to be a high expectation of where this team is going mm-hmm. and how they want to perform. Um, and so I, that's why I say hybrid, because I think you still have to kind of push the limits of, of the tactical um, adjustments that you want to make if you're Blackco and what you want to see, but also knowing that first and foremost, it's all about getting the results to qualify, right? And then you can tweak a little bit differently. But I mean, that's always going to be the case, I think, because right. the unfortunate truth around this entire discussion is, I mean, if you look at Kat, Tierna, some of these players that are out with the level of play and the competition amount of games, these players are, are playing in. This is unfortunate. This is reality, right? Like going forward because there's just so many more games at a a higher level um, that there's always going to be these adjustments. So I think you always have to push your understanding tactically and what you want, the principles that you want. But I think there also has to be a level personally of some tactical flexibility in that. Mm -hmm. And it, depending on one, like players available because the injuries will happen in, in the tournament as well. Right. Right. And so you have to have like, to your point, that's like, do you play with a three back sometimes or does it look like a hybrid three back? So I think yes and no um, is the ultimate answer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. It does. And it, I do think one of the things that the U.S. struggled with in the Olympics was that concept of turning that depth into a strength. And I think that one of the jobs of being the manager of this team is how do you turn this team's depth into something that can be utilized consistently? And that's a difficult thing to do because there's the psychology of bringing players in who maybe thought that they were done with the U S or having to move some players around. So they have to play out of position or, you know, making those changes, you know, obviously there was a really strict rotation on fitness in the, in the Olympics. How do you do that? But also kind of run with the hot hand a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so getting into, getting into this briefly, you know, we're, we'll do, we'll do a a couple little hypotheticals on, on looking at June. Yep. Maybe, maybe a, a way to start is, do you think it's possible to be left off the June roster and go to qualifying? Or is this really like the short list for qualifying the June roster? Um, I, I would say the latter. Okay. That this is going to be very close. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, always a few question marks in that, depending on what the internal conversations that Black goes having, having with some players, right? Because yes, the depth is important. And also, um, but a lot of these players have been playing a number number of games. And I think it starts to like kind of chill out a little bit on the NWSL level of like, you start to get to more. So they should be fresh and ready to go, especially as you go into qualifiers. So I say that because I don't think it looks even across the board on the minutes you play, right. You could have a lot of depth and that still doesn't mean that like, it's going to be equal across the board of um, how the minutes that are being played amongst these players. So um but I do think you have to start building some continuity and there hasn't been a ton of games and, you know, gone are the days too with like how the contracts are working, where you go in, like, I'm joking, but like six months in advance, right. In advance, right, yeah. forever, right? Like you, you yeah. hang out together at yeah, yeah, exactly. half a year. Yeah. yeah. That has always been an advantage for the U S um, 
but like those days are gone too. So I think you have to start to build some of those relationships or, or utilize the relationships that are being built on the club teams. Right. So like you can think of a hatch Trinity Sanchez mm-hmm. partnership that would have like an innate understanding of where each other's going to be. So I do think that it's going to be very close. The only reason why maybe not is because you're giving somebody like a Sam Coffey an opportunity. Right. And then maybe you don't feel like she's completely ready at the hypothetical. Right. But, okay, um, or, or maybe it is something where Andy Sullivan's about ready to go, but not quite. So you say, yeah. let's throw Sam Coffey into this. We know that Andy will be back for qualifiers. That exactly. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, okay. So talking about briefly the positions, we know the positions of strength. Yeah. I think there are eight forwards you could logically take and they're not all going to go. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what decisions are made there. Mm -hmm. Um, The midfield is interesting, right? So as identified last year, not a lot of depth at the number six position. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting Sullivan back will be huge, but not necessarily for sure that she can go every game. Right. Um, I'm also just interested in, like you said, Haran has been dealing with this lingering knee issue for a number of months. I don't know exactly where that's at. She did not get a ton of rest. She was a preferred starter for Lyon during that, that champions league run. So Mm -hmm. she, she did not get a lot of time off. Um, Sam Mewis probably no. Uh, and and then yeah, Roosevelt looks great. Uh, Ashley Sanchez looks great. If a little bit tired, (laughs) Um, there's that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, what's your solution? Maybe less for the number six, but is there a number eight? Is there someone who can play kind of in between the lines that you would maybe bring in for midfield depth here? Yeah. Like I have gone through all the teams and yeah. nothing's, no one's really standing out to me in that, in that position either. And that's why I think it's interesting, depending on who you're playing, you could potentially depend on how Stan Coffee, let's say she does get called in how she does, then you could play like an Andy at a higher yeah Yeah. and I think that would solve that problem and then alleviate some of the amount of minutes that like a Lindsay Horan has to play I mean listen I have seven midfielders and mine is like Andy Horan Lavelle Sanchez Coffey Howell and I also have Mewis on there even though Mewis to me Christy Mewis um, has been wildly inconsistent and not in my opinion, good enough to be called into this June camp. I think Gotham has made it really hard on their bubble players. I think that it's, I I think that's, I think that's a fair point as well, right? Like them, their team in general, I don't think is performing at the level that they can be. Right. Um, And also, I also think Mewis, this has always been the knock on her game in general throughout her career is just the inconsistency. And she has the ability. I think she could be the number eight Mm -hmm. in a a way. Um, Obviously Gotham has her playing a bit more as like a true 10. Right. But um, I really think that she has the range. We saw that more with Houston Dash to drop deep, play make from a deeper role as well, and then get into advanced positions. But like, I actually think she's looked better with the national team. So that's, I kind of like retract my answer. Yeah, a little bit. I, I think, think she looks better with the national team than she has with Gotham sure. to say. So yeah, no, I would still sense. bring her in. My one, my one, uh, my one dark horse, if we have to really get funky with the midfield is I do actually also think Pew can play back there a little bit more if she yeah. has to. That's um, a, that's a really good call. I agree yeah. with that. Um, with the way, the way Chicago has been playing, it's very malleable, but she technically has been an attacking midfielder for yeah. them. And I think that if you have to do that just to make sure that 
you get the players on the field that you need to get on the field, that's an option. And that goes, uh, sorry, I don't want to no, you're go good. super long, but I think that goes to just having a little bit of that tax, tactical flexibility as well. Because if Mal does play in that position, but then she has the ability to kind of drift, mm-hmm. then you obviously have to bring somebody in, whoever is at Huerta right. or Kelly O'Hare, that's going to kind of fill in centrally that from that weak side, right? Depending. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, it's good though, because these are, these are presenting like the tactical things that hopefully will be really interesting to watch in the next couple of months. All right. Last U S question. Yep. This is actually kind of a hot topic a little bit because we've seen some new talent emerge that people are very excited about goalkeeper. (laughs) Interesting one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very deep, very, very deep pool. You can only take three. Mm Mm-hmm. Who, who are you, who's your hot hand and goalkeeper right now that you say, I want to probably, I mean, Nayer, right. That's your number yeah. one with the most experience, right? Yep. But if you've got, if you can put two young keepers behind her, who do you bring in? And then there's also AD France, who I think has, uh, is, you know, is obviously going to be available for selection as well. Yeah. Well, my three are Nair, um, Casey Murphy and Aubrey Kingsbury. Yeah. Those are my three. I think Kingsbury, I wouldn't put her in the young category, but young in terms of experience at the national Experience team. internationally, yeah. right. I think um, you're in, for several years now has produced at the NWSL level and has proven that um, she's reliable and has the ability, right? Mm-hmm. And then Casey Murphy, I think, has a number, has enough games and will by that June camp under her belt back from injury. And goodness, we've seen what she, like, I mean, back in November, right? So. Right. Those would be my my three. I think, I mean, obviously, Tullis Joyce has been incredible for O.L. Reign. I just think at this point in time, um, I wouldn't put her higher right now right. just because of, of the experience, right? This is her first year in the NWSL. I think at that, with the goalkeeper situation, consistency for me is what's going to, like, push somebody ahead of somebody because, as you mentioned, the depth is ridiculous at right. this point in time, so... Right. I think that what we've seen in a number of years is there are just so many athletically gifted American goalkeepers yeah. and it is just about maybe a little bit more the mental side, the just getting used to being a professional, getting into your rhythms, being really mm-hmm. regimented, finding coaches that you work well with. I think that that, and we've seen some, some players look really good and then struggle with that element yeah. of it. And so I, I agree with that. I think for Tellus Joyce, you say, finish out your year in the league um, you know, maybe this is someone not for 2023, but looking for like 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And, and historically, right. Like keepers have been able to play longer, like there's a longer, um, longevity there. So, uh, (laughs) to say the same word, um, but like, so I think there's no, there's no need to rush some of these, um, these keepers and, and, and field players that will emerge as well. So I think that, you know, last thing about the U.S. national team, which I think is always an interesting conversation, gone are the days to, I think, where the U.S. women's national team has to be the end-all, be-all, yeah. right? Like the, the way the league's developing or right. we hope that continues to develop, it is going to, and hopefully, you know, salaries and everything will just continue to to um, be better and better, that it doesn't have to be like, if, you, if you're playing well in the league, then you better get called in, right? right. You can be an outstanding individual yeah. player and and not play on the national team. And that's quite all right too. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I also think maybe not for the next year because we're ramping up to the, the do or die part of the cycle. But um, I do think we're probably going to see more players get caps 
and have that opportunity to play for the national team. But that doesn't mean that they're a long-term option. You know, you're going to see more of that rotation. It's going to be less of just a familiar faces. I think you're going to see more of that. And that's good too. Yeah. Because you want to have those players get that opportunity. I mean, as a, you know, an American women's soccer fan, that's good for them. It makes them better players. They bring that experience back into the league and everyone benefits from that. Yeah. So yep, I, think, no I think that that that's the way forward. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm glad we went long on this. It's been a minute since we've done it on the show and it's about to get real. I think we're going to get June rosters in like a week or two. And then, yeah. and then it's world cup qualifying. Should be fun, yeah. yeah. So this has been part one. We'll switch over to league talk in part two. We will be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Lori Lindsay. Real quick, go ahead and rate and review this podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. It really helps people find us. It's great for discovery. And uh, we are the leading independent uh, publisher of Women's Soccer News in America. So please help us out. Okay. So we're going to switch over to the league a little bit. Um, I think we're getting into some of the good stuff a little bit in the NWSL. We have a couple teams who are still really struggling with a tough schedule. We've seen some fatigue, but I think what that is actually forcing a little bit is some interesting tactical nuance to try to save legs and still get results. Um, I do think I want to lead. I want to lead with the, the rain Chicago game that happened on Saturday. And this is maybe a good seg to just talk about some of the really high performing players that we're going to see for the U S um, they kind of play a little bit to a stalemate, except one team has Mal Pugh and the other team does not. And what I thought was interesting about that game, we were talking about Pugh's versatility, is with who they kind of brought out into that match, she was central as much as she was was anywhere. She was really trying to find space behind the center backs, actually draw the center backs out and then beat them one V one. And that seemed to work really, really well. But I was also impressed by the Red Stars ability to pass out of the press, which they had to do because their legs were gone. And so they were presented with the challenge of how do you get a result out of this game without completely falling apart physically? And I thought they did a nice job, but maybe I want to switch it over to the rain briefly, which is, I'm just going to ask it. Do the rain need to get a nine? Do they need to get a center forward? Does it, is it going to work with the roster that they have right now? Well, I, I think that it can work with the roster that they have. I just think they have to be – They I think they lead the league – and don't quote me on this, but I think they lead the league in, like, chances created and shots and stuff. But like, And entrances at, like, into the box, I think, yeah. as well, yeah. So I think they're extremely effective in that, and a lot of that has to do with the defenders, right? Like, they can play a high line because they're good 1v1, and they can – even if teams try to play in behind and exploit, they have that ability – um, especially with like a Lana cook, right? Like I think probably the best center back in the league right now. Sure. Um, but like going forward is just too many wasted opportunities, I think. Right. Um, and also I think you, there's a little bit too much of reliance on a where, uh, where to getting higher up right. playing through the midfield playing out to her, right. They don't have the same production on the other side. So I think it becomes a little bit predictable in the way that they play. Um, but I do still think it can work. I think you can even play if when Kim Little comes in, we know that's a short-term loan, right. but at the same time, she can play higher up, but you know, to, 
looking at this game specifically, I think, you know, you rely on so much of a fish lock, making runs out of the midfield, being active, um, putting a lot of eyeballs on her and that opens up space for others. Um, and with her being out, I think that's an issue. Right. Um, so I do think it can work. I still am high on them. I just think, you know, they're, they're not a team that's going to change a ton and right. that's credit to Laura, but also I think sometimes you're going to have to look to play slightly different in some ways because other teams are and matching up in different ways. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that we, we, I saw this a little bit with the Chicago Portland game as well. And it's a little bit easier to see when you're there, which is just these teams are doing a good job of identifying the players who are really generating attack for these other squads. Mm -hmm. And by just kind of nullifying those particular players, like for Portland, you, you try to stop Sophia Smith. You try to stop Morgan Weaver Um, for the rain. They had Jill Aguilera on Huerta the whole time, trying to stop her from advancing the ball. Um, They were really focused in on Rose Lavelle. And then you say, okay, so who next is going to fill the space created by that kind of almost man marking. And it seemed like the rain struggled with that next step. And so I think that for them, they do, they look so dangerous. And they're also, I think underrated. The thing I think the OL rain is underrated on is they're really good ball winners as well. They're a very disciplined defensive team. I agree. Yep. And, and so that's why they always look like they're pushing forward because they're really good at getting these turnovers. They're really good at winning the ball. And so it's just that final piece and I guess the question is always just when will it start to click right Mm -hmm. and you know when you look at the players I mean I think they've added a lot of depth to oil rain you know you got Latsko you have Watt who's back right I mean obviously Megan Rapino has been injured and in and out a little bit that would be a different piece for them I think um um zr king but they've rotated some of those players even though they've kept a lot the same so I do think that you have to I mean, it goes, it kind of goes with anybody. Like if you lose a significant player, like a fish lock, then you have to be able to have somebody else step up. Mm-hmm. And right now I think that, you know, I'm not so sure who that is. If, the, if, if teams are making those adjustments, uh, I think we've seen moments from Bethany Bolser, right? Mm-hmm. So those are the big question marks. How can this, I do think there's enough experience though throughout this long season. That's why I still am high on oil rain that those players will step up because you have enough players that know this league. Yeah. And I think for them specifically in this game, what I was kind of seeing is it felt like they had chances for overloads on the wings when you do Mm -hmm. have someone as strong as Huerta, or they did occasionally have Bethany Balser kind of drifting towards Huerta's side of the pitch. And they were able to create overloads that Chicago's defense really struggled to handle, but then they're just the follow-up run was not being made. And so you just didn't have, when when you do that, right, you have to be able to get the ball in, in the other direction. And that was just that final piece that was not there. Um, And so I do think that they have the players to do it. Like you just mentioned, like someone like Watt or King, but I think you have to maybe start getting really specific of like, here's what we're going to do. And here's where you need to be every time. Yeah. That's just not what we're seeing yet. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would, I would totally agree with that actually. And I think in the past, maybe Laura, um, hasn't had to do that yeah. because of the caliber of player. And I think now with some younger players, um, and not just because they're young, right. I just think you, you just, they need a little bit more specific direction yeah. to be that much more effective because I, I agree a hundred percent about their, 
I'm just trying to think back of some of those games that I've called too. They mm-hmm. are so good defensively. They yeah. swarm, they're tough to play yes. out of, right? But yep. if you're going to do that, then you have to be able to generate more opportunities, not more opportunities, right. more, you have to score more goals. You have to just score more goals. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that for, for that particular game, and they're going to probably really want to look at that. Cause I do think that it's a good example of how their style of play can go wrong, which yeah. is that they weren't even really shooting the ball. I, they were not, I don't think they think they had one shot on goal at the, at yeah. the end of the match. And so, yeah, it's, it's something that they need to really focus on. I think a little bit more, um, and, and they were a high shooting team, low SOG team. This one was just not a lot of shots in general. Yeah. Um, so it, it's an interesting, it's not a bad place to be because they are so defensively strong, but it is the kind of thing that could kill you in a playoff game. And I think that that has to be even already looking ahead for them. Yeah. Them. And even in general, just this conversation too, it just makes me think like, you know, how hungry that the league was for new thought process of coaching and stuff as well. And also just even some of these nuances within the game are going to force players to have to think about too, in the middle of the game. Like, yes, if you have these principles, like Laura's like, Hey, this is where I need you to be. If so-and-so has a ball, like I believe in that type of like, like understanding and process as well. But then also there has to be recognition of like, okay, we know that Chicago is playing in this like three, six, one, three, five, two, whatever you want to call it. Right. But that will look like a five back sometimes. So right. what, where's the space? Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to understand that like on the fly. So it's, there will be, I think, as we're seeing some of these tactical changes, learning curves for a lot of players as mm-hmm. well, because it's not so cut and dry and it has looked very different um, from years past or is yeah. looking very different. Yeah. And I think the red stars have developed into a team. That's really hard to break down. I think that they've, they've done a nice job sometimes depending on who they have available. They're a little bit more formationally strict and sometimes they have a little bit more freedom. I think they, they played, (laughs) they played two wingbacks on Saturday, one of whom had never played wingback before the other one had her NWSL debut three days prior, but there is an understanding of roles. And I think also an underrated an underrated form of communication through the red stars, which I think is, is working for them really well mm-hmm. is Nair is very organized. I think those three players in the three back are getting used to playing with each other and that confidence in the back kind of spreads forward. So if you do have a brand new wing back, they can trust the center back behind them to tell them where to go and tell them when they can go and when they need to stay. Um, and then Pew is just a great communicator too. She's very, very good. I mean, she always wants the ball at her feet and she's very quick to direct that. And that's how you get these chances. And then Pew just on the ball is yeah. out of this. I world. mean, listen, yeah. she is to me the best player right now in the league, Yeah, but hands down. So, but I think to, that's an interesting point too, because you have players have bought in, mm-hmm. they are structured and there's some fluidity and freedom within that but there's com- there's really clear roles yeah. and i think that within that it allows you to get results which is great because that's that's what you want and then players that are being put in positions or not having much experience can still perform for the team so there does seem like you know Nair and Pew i would have put Davidson in this but obviously she's injured right. but those are two players that i feel like hell yeah i'd want to play for right yeah, they right. seem like excited about the team there's a real like energy about it so i think um They've been a surprise, Chicago, for me, mm-hmm. but also like a pleasant one where I'm like, you can get behind it and like yeah. an exciting team. There's uh, a lot to, there's a lot to like there. Yeah. We'll see yeah. where it ends up. I'll say that I, I mean, I went in with pretty low expectations this season, to be honest with their roster turnover, but 
Um, it seems like they're building something that will serve them yeah, well for a long time. It's been fun to watch. Yeah. Um, so one team I also want to talk about before we go is talk about turnarounds. Cause you look at the top three now and we know that the, we know that the standings don't really matter at this point. I always say like the first eight games will go the way they'll go. And then the season yeah. kind of starts, but so San Diego is still on top. They did get the last gas point against, <laughs> against Kansas city, poor Kansas city. Um, but I want to talk about the dash. I think we, we need to talk about Houston because they get that result against Portland and you're a little bit kind of like wide-eyed, like, wow, that it was unexpected. Right. Yeah. And then they, they follow that up with just such a strong game against Orlando and Orlando has their own issues, but um, <laughs> well, we're just going to focus on Houston. We're going to focus yeah. on, on the good. Um, so they, they dropped five goals on the Orlando pride. Nichelle Prince gets a, gets a hat trick. Maria Sanchez sends that incredible in ball into Rachel Daly, who has, I think Rachel Daly might be one of the more underrated strikers in the league right now. She has quietly had a very good beginning to her regular season. I think it's not a shame because the euros are amazing, but it's a little bit of a shame for Houston. They're about to lose her for a while, but um, I think it all has to kind of come maybe from the coaching change. We were talking about this before we started, Houston hasn't really changed their formation that much. They're still kind of running a four, three, three, but it's that same kind of problem solving that we're seeing from them that they did not have under James Clarkson. They were very rigid under Clarkson. And I mean, famously, right. The, the tactical changes that they made in that last game um, of the regular season last year cost them a playoff spot. Right. And so, yeah. So it's kind of similar to Chicago, right. Which is that the dash are fun they're talented and they're bought in. So just talk a little bit about what you've seen from Houston with this turnaround under Sarah Loudon. Yeah. I mean, I I think you said that perfectly. I think there was a lack of, um, you know, willingness to, to try stuff and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not here to like knock Clarkson, but there also wasn't much excitement. I mean, I I was pretty vocal about, I thought they were terrible, right? Like I, I just like, not the individual players, don't get me wrong, but with the players that they were putting out there, I'm like, how, why is this the same thing over and over? Right. Right. And it was not fun. Why does it feel so frustrated? Maybe is, is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just think, cause you weren't getting the best out of the players, right. You weren't getting the best out of the players in terms of just the way they're moving the ball. And now there seems to be a freshness and you know, that tends to happen when you have a coaching turnover. But I think the thing is, is that like, and one thing that we were speaking, speaking about off um, before we started this podcast is just, listen, you can very much, change formation we could talk about formations all the day all day you could change formations you could change um have some like tactical nuance to your game that doesn't take away from who you are your principles and how you want to attack and how you want to utilize the players that you have um but you might utilize you might have those changes from game to game depending on the matchup and i think that's entirely okay depending on um, how that message is being relayed to your players and also um, what that looks like over the big picture, right? Because like if you do have your principles in play and you under or in place and you do know like you're going to use daily, you're going to use Sa- Sanchez to their best of their abilities and how, what that looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Then yeah, make some changes, go for it because this is a long season. There's fine margins between each of the teams yep. and you got to get results because when only half the teams are going to be, however you want to look at it, half go to the playoffs or only half go, right? Like then that's a whole, 
that's, you know, that's where you, you have to pick up points. You have to get results. And so I think there's been a freshness under Loudon, but I also think you're just starting to see because of Daly, Sanchez, um, Vigiano putting in, being put into better position, Sophia yeah. um, Schmidt, right? Well, I also think, and, and this is maybe it speaks to the lopsided score line versus, you know, some of the stats came out and it was not, obviously it was not like a five to nothing XG, you know, difference. Right. But Nichelle Prince is a really interesting player in that I think that she is so good at getting into space and she is so smart with her movements, but it always feels like that final ball is just never quite, yeah. it always feels like she should be a player that should be scoring 12 goals a season and it just never quite happened. And again, I don't know if that's time in the league, if it's just one really good game, but I think that we just kind of saw like a statistical regression of like, she scored all of the goals that she should be scoring in, in one match. <laughs> in against Orlando, yeah. 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 <laughs> which, which happens sometimes when, when teams play Orlando, but, um, but yeah, so I think that there's that element as well. And I just think you can't overstate maybe just what that feeling of, freedom does for a player. It can just calm a player down. It can um, change the way that you move. It can change the way that you shoot the ball. I'm excited by Houston. It's like I said, it's similar to Chicago. It feels like they've got some malleability to them. And we, again, will see how they do with the euros and then with world cup qualifying, they've got a couple key players who will be be out for, for that as well. So. Um, well, the, the, what you said, freedom is the key, right? Yeah. And I think again, it goes back to like, how that message is relayed because under Clarkson, the, the conversation was always like, we need like Prince to stay wide, serve balls in, mm-hmm. but like, what if that's not on? Right. right. And is that her best to be right. out wide and to just take players on? What about if she finds space to your point cuts inside and gets a ball, like in a better position right. for her to score, right. Or play a final pass. That's like a higher percentage. So I think how that's relayed and like how maybe the confidence that's being, um, given to a lot of these players looks a little bit different than it has in the past yeah. can elevate every team, right. Or every player yeah. by X amount. So, all right. I have one more question for you before we go. And this is, this has just been on my mind a little bit this week. And it's like the one, the one officiating question of, of the whole, <laughs> we, we did so well not to talk about it till now, but I think there's an interesting pattern in the league this week. And we saw some coaches complain about it this week. And I, I genuinely don't know the answer to this. So this I'm asking you in your professional opinion. If you have a game mm-hmm. where you have one player who is significantly better on the ball than a lot of the other players on, on the pitch, mm-hmm. if another team, there's never, they're never, you know, it's not like one player is being overly aggressive, but you can see systemically that a team has decided that they're going to play that player a little bit physically. Mm-hmm. How do you as a referee influence that stopping happening so it's not just one player that's doing this it's it's the whole team just getting a little bit overly physical with one particular player Chicago complained about that with Pew this week um mm-hmm. I think Chris Ward complained about it with Ashley Hatch yeah. um we I Sophia Smith Sophia Smith yeah. sometimes it's it's one of those things where no no one is really breaking the rules but it affects the flow of the game yeah what's your take well, on that well my take is um when we had communication before games from referees. Mm-hmm. That was always the most positive, right? One, I think you have to have people that understand that that is going to take place, right? right. You have to understand that like a Trinity Rodman has been yeah. targeted, Sanchez, all the players you just mentioned, right? And unfortunately, that's the reality of 
the game because these players are extremely good, whether it's yeah. on the ball or off the ball with their runs. Um, however, I do think that that one that has to be stated from the beginning, yeah. any off ball stuff or things that look like it's like, it has to be stated. It would not be tolerated. Mm-hmm. And then you have to be on top of it from the get go, right? right? Like, even if it feels like it's an early yellow card, Mm -hmm. it has to be a yellow card then because it's not going to be tolerated. Right. And so, um, and I understand if it's like from multiple people, but that just sets the tone. Right. And and I'm not a fan of like ongoing dialogue from referees in the game. I mean, that's like the worst actually. Right. Right. But I'm saying like to the point, this has been spoken about from the beginning. Yeah. Um, we're here to protect players and this is not going to be tolerated. So like, yeah. And then like, and then they know, right. Right. But I think that, you know, and the equalizer has written a lot about this too, just like when that's not set and then you're like chasing games as a referee. And then obviously there's just like, it's been systemic. So you have all these different people chiming in on what needs to improve. I think if that open dialogue from the beginning is yeah. talked to both coaches, that's relayed to the teams, then that, and if not, then you're punished. Right. Right. right? But I think it's, hasn't been taken care of from the beginning and then it's been an ongoing problem and you run the risk of like major injuries really yeah for and, the best players yeah yeah and yeah. it's not it's you know and listen i'm not here to like i i really believe in the the open dialogue and referees being very much an important part yeah and so that has got that in general has to change and not the abuse on the refs but the dialogue just has to be better yeah. right i mean full full across the board yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense to me. It was interesting to watch. And like I said, I don't think anybody was doing anything wrong, but it was a set tone of here's how you stop Mal Pugh is you yeah. player pretty physically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that that makes perfect sense. It sometimes feels like an NWSL, they kind of get the opposite of the star treatment, opposite of star calls, which is yeah. that, that some players just because they are that, that next level above, um, are allowed in, in maybe the idea of fairness to, to get pushed around a little bit too much. So, yeah. And I think we have to be careful with that though. I mean, yeah. really, I'm the last thing we need is injuries yeah. like to major players that are make the league exciting and are the future. So, yeah. 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 So anyway, open dialogue in the future, set the tone. If any NWSL refs are listening to this, but tell them to cut it out because it's <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Lori, for joining me. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. This has been the Equalizer Podcast. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and our distributor, Blue Wire Podcast. We will be back with you next week.